Welcome back, everyone, to 10G for your success and wealth. This episode, I'm going to tell you the most incredulous story of another friend of mine that, because of a chance encounter, was able to capitalize on an opportunity that was presented to him. And at that moment, he became, wait for it, a real life gigolo. If you don't know what that means, then provider to women is another term. And if you still don't know what that means, I think by the end of this episode, you will. (laughs) Yes, they do exist. They're not a myth. And as much as I tried to get John to come on this episode and tell his story about how he became one, because it's always best to hear it from the person that lived it, he refused and wished to remain anonymous. And since he was also an executive in the entertainment field, I had to change his name for this story. But I'll describe him with as much detail as possible without making him identifiable. I understand why he wanted anonymity, because essentially he was, and still is, living in the shadows with his career choice. I interviewed him to get his story on how he became a true American gigolo totally by fate. And after the interview, I went over the transcripts and went back and forth for several days on whether or not to include his story. I thought about it very deeply. The 10G matrix that I created can be used for good and bad. But in the end, I decided to include it because as you'll see in his story, the services he provided were mutually beneficial to everyone involved. Every person lives their most interesting life under cover of secrecy and under cover of the night, wrote the great Russian writer Anton Chekhov, true and poignant words that are still valid. John quickly became one of the most sought-after gigolos in all of Southern California. And as he began piling up stacks of cash from his new career, who does he go to for solid advice? Yours truly. That's right. He came to me to get his road to success and wealth in order, and that's when I introduced him to the Tangy Matrix that I had already created by that time. At this point, I know what all of you are thinking. Didn't I say in a previous episode to stay away from dirty money? I did say it, loud and clear. But, John's money was gray market money. It wasn't acquired through drug dealing, murder for hire, extortion, loan sharking, kidnapping, and so on. That's black market money, and that's always dirty. I know that I'll get criticism anyway, but John's money didn't create victims because all of his wealthy clients were more than willing participants. John had lost his high-paying job in the entertainment industry here in Los Angeles. He was an executive on a production company that had several hit shows. And because the production company he worked for had downsized significantly, he was let go from his position in the C-suite. Shortly after, he was in Chicago for a job interview. It was worthwhile for him to fly to Chicago because if he got the job, he'd be making enough money to justify relocating there. John was careless and many times too generous with his money. He spent his money like nobody I'd ever seen. And because of that, he was always living from paycheck to paycheck, even with a tremendously high salary that he had. All that partying took a hit on his finances that were already dwindling down. He told me that he sensed the interview had not gone well, 
so he decided to fly back home earlier than planned. Sometimes you get a gut feeling that it's best to cut your losses and move on, John said. Whatever, he sighed. If I hadn't gone, I'd be thinking about what the outcome might have been, he said. At Chicago's O'Hare Airport, John had two hours before boarding began on his flight back to L.A., so he sat down at the bar next to his gate to have a drink. There was a lady in her late 40s to early 50s sitting two seats away from John, also at the bar, that was very attractive and well-kept. He had an eye for everything nice and noticed all the luxury items she had, which consisted of her purse, shoes, watch, and jewelry. As was usual, wherever he went, he noticed her looking at his oversized and well-trimmed mustache. I was stunned once several years ago when John pulled out a black mascara tube from his pants pocket and began applying mascara to his mustache. It's the fastest way to get some of the grayness out, he said before I could ask him what he was doing. When he glanced back at her, he saw an unbelieving smile on her face. Is that thing real? she asked him. John immediately knew what she was referring to. Yes, it is, and it has its own Facebook page also, he replied. The lady burst out in a deep, raucous, yet still sensual laugh that only a woman full of confidence can produce. John was always quick-witted, especially around women, and knew how to break the ice with a sense of humor that was perfectly timed. John stretched out his arm and reached over the two barstools that separated them to offer his hand. They officially greeted each other with a handshake and exchanged names. Jane then glided over and sat closer to him. Now there was only one barstool separating them. A sense of humor goes a long way, especially when connecting with someone new. One of the most common questions at an airport when conversing with a stranger is, Where are you traveling to? John quickly figured out that Jane was traveling back to Los Angeles on the same flight where she also lived. My husband lets me travel first class to visit my mother in Chicago. I try to fly out here every three months. She's getting older, said Jane. What do you do for a living? It's the second most common question at an airport and John asked her without realizing that she would return the question. I'm a stay-at-home mom and wife, she replied. My husband's a plastic surgeon. He's always busy, she continued. Jane quickly bounced the same question back to John. And you? What do you do? She said. John, with his banter sharpened by many years of experience at bars and nightclubs, and because he didn't want to tell her he was currently unemployed, jokingly blurted out, I'm a gigolo, John said quickly. She laughed out loud again. With a mustache like that, I should have known. And she continued laughing. John was good-looking, athletic, quick with a smile, and always a great conversationalist, and came off as an intelligent person. Also, because of his personality, he was able to put people at ease, and all of those qualities he had allowed him to make friends anywhere and at any time. His oversized and occasionally blackened mustache with a touch of mascara was always a conversation piece wherever he went because it made him look like one of those cheesy porn stars from the 1970s. After more of the small talk was finished, Jane continued to be enthralled by John's claim and she began steering the conversation back to what he professed to do. So, she paused nervously and let that word hang in the air for an eternity. I've never met a real-life gigolo before. How much do you charge? She asked unabashedly. John, continuing with his joke, quickly responded. 2,000, but it's for 24 hours. They both laughed nervously in sync as they both looked at each other sheepishly. Then, they both took a sip from their drinks and Jane began stirring her almost empty cocktail glass with her finger deep into the ice while looking at John as if more information would be forthcoming from him about what he alleged to do. 
John broke the silence that followed by offering to buy Jane another drink before they started boarding. I remember John telling me when I interviewed him that he wasn't sure if his credit card was going to be declined and he began sweating nervously as the bartender swiped it to charge the last two drinks for himself and Jane before getting on the plane. No matter what the reason, a declined credit card is always embarrassing, he said to me. I was completely tapped out financially at that time and I wasn't sure about anything at that point. I was behind on my rent, behind on my car payment, and my bills were piling up, he continued telling me. A good joke is one that you never have to explain or backtrack on. So John, to not look like a fool, moved the last part of their conversation away from his claim to be a provider to women and continued with trivial chatter. John knew from experience that it was a tacit rule that women rarely gave out their cell numbers first, especially if they're married. Jane pointed out that the passengers had begun lining up at the gate and they both finished the remainder of their drinks and then John quickly made his move. I really enjoyed our laughter, he said. Here's my number. Maybe we can have coffee one day, he said quickly. John had clandestinely written his number down on a napkin sometime during their conversation in preparation for their eventual departure from the bar. Jane discreetly and swiftly put the napkin into her purse as if someone was watching them. John's experience told him that about 99% of the time numbers were given out, there would be no callbacks because of the unforeseen reasons that happen after meeting someone new. But uncertainty was the main one for the woman receiving the number. Jane boarded the plane, as is usual with first-class passengers. When John finally boarded, he saw Jane sitting in her first-class seat across the other side of the plane and seemed preoccupied in a conversation with the man sitting next to her. She hadn't noticed John boarding, and he continued on to the back of the plane, where his assigned seat was. Fate sometimes steps in to rescue the wretched, were the wise words of Mandalorian Boba Fett. To this day, I still don't believe how my life changed for the better by that chance encounter. I'd found a unicorn, John told me with amazement during the interview. When he arrived back in L.A. because of where he was seated on the airplane, John wasn't able to catch a glimpse of Jane did boarding with the rest of the first-class passengers. His row was the last off the plane, and John had already conceded to the consequences of his dystopian future and just wanted to get home to start packing before his inevitable eviction became official with an embarrassing notice placed on his door. The next day, after John returned back to L.A., he'd almost finished packing his belongings when his doorbell rang in the morning. John did a one-eyed glance through the peephole of his door and saw what looked like a delivery guy standing outside. John opened his door without hesitation and noticed that the guy was wearing a blue outfit and had a clipboard in his left hand with a small box perfectly balanced on top of it. Then the guy pretended to read John's first and last name from the clipboard and asked John if that was him. Yes, that's me, John answered. The guy then cleverly slid out a summons from under the back of the clipboard with his right hand and pushed it into John's hand. You've been served, the Riley guy said out loud, and then he quickly walked back to his car and sped out. John had been served with the first of many credit card lawsuits that were coming. He'd stopped paying his credit card bills several months ago as his savings began dwindling. When the money gets thin, you start to prioritize where to spend, John told me. Clearly, he was at a low point in his life, and his cell phone was constantly ringing from creditors calling to collect. A few days after he was served, John was loading up the last of his moving boxes with his belongings into his SUV as he was planning to make the last trip to the storage unit he'd rented where he had previously stored his furniture and clothes. John was going to rent a room out from his clothes friend while he got back on his feet financially. 
As he walked around his apartment to check for anything else that needed to be packed, his phone rang for the umpteenth time that morning. I'd noticed the call come through from the 310 area code, and the caller ID numbers were too random to be a collection call, John said. The telephone numbers from the bill collectors tended to look more symmetrical, he said with confidence. Then, about five minutes later, the same number called back. And that time I answered it, John said. It was Jane calling him. Hi, John. This is Jane from O'Hare Airport, she said. The pause that followed was big enough to park his SUV into it. Then before John could respond, she continued with an air of seriousness in her voice. I need your services, and depending on what review I give you, my best friend would like to employ you also, she said. He was stunned that the joke was still being taken seriously, and John still wasn't sure if she was continuing with the joke. But with a quick reply, and not to lose the opportunity, he swiftly said, I'm one of the best in L.A., he said, while thinking she might still be pulling his leg. She then gave him a date that she wanted him to join her, and without skipping a beat, and to make himself look legit, he said, Okay, let me check my schedule. He put his cell phone down for a few seconds and did a celebratory and silent fist pump into the air with his other hand. He came back to his phone and said, Yes, that day is available. Perfect, she replied. Can you be here at my house later in the morning on that date, she asked. Whatever you want, he replied. And then he added, I prefer cash, John proclaimed. He couldn't believe he was about to close his first deal as a gigolo without ever wanting to be one. No problem. I'll text you my address, she replied. John, one more thing, she added. Jane was an expert at dramatic interludes that made it seem as if she was slowly pushing down an exclamation point with her index finger. Discretion is of the utmost importance, she stated. Absolutely, John responded with a purposeful sound of experience in his voice. A week before the phone call, he was unemployed, not much money in the bank, credit cards maxed out, about to get evicted from his apartment. He hadn't gotten the job he was interviewed for and not sure what was coming next. And now he was about to embark on something that he had never considered doing. I need to do some research, was the first thing that came to my mind after she called me. He said to me while laughing out loud. Dude, I still wasn't 100% sure if she was serious or not, but I decided to go with it. He told me while holding a wide-eyed smile. John had homework to do, and he decided to call an actual gigolo to get details on what exactly he was in for. Through my circle of friends and contacts, I was quickly able to connect to a real gigolo in L.A. He was an Italian guy living in L.A., and after he cleared me and felt comfortable that I wasn't undercover, he told me everything, John continued. Amongst all the details the real gigolo told to John, he emphasized the following three rules if he wanted to be a successful provider. Rule number one, never advertise and only grow your business organically and through word of mouth only. Rule number two, never use drugs. Rule number three, always be on time. You'll stay out of trouble and make more money that way, he told John with a heavy Sicilian accent. He was a very helpful and super cool guy that I'm still friends with today, John said to me. He even referred me to several of his clients at the beginning when he was too busy to accommodate them. His nickname is Santino because he looks like a younger version of Sonny from The Godfather, John continued. John's life positively changed exponentially after he capitalized on his new connections through Jane and Sonny. He quickly got back on his feet financially and began investing in real estate with the proceeds from his new career. These women needed something beyond their marriage 
and I was able to provide it, and I got paid very well for it. No harm, no foul, John stated proudly. It's crazy, but the one thing that I still remember the most when I went full-time was how happy I was not having to hear that fucking get-up-for-work alarm clock anymore. He continued telling me with an infectious joy in his voice. Above and beyond, John quickly figured out that he had to be a great listener to be a successful provider. He told me that the irony was that 95% of the time he spent with his women clients was all about conversation. They would go shopping, to restaurants, to the gym, walk on the beach, and many times he would go on vacation with them that were all paid for by the women. One of his regular clients always wanted to play tennis first before anything. It became clear that his clients needed someone just to listen to them talk about their lives. Only 5% of the time he spent with his clients was about intimacy. Women who hire gigolos need emotional support and a person they can talk to without strings attached. That's much different than having an affair, which is absolutely only based on sex. I asked John during my interview with him if it was a good thing. Absolutely, because you just simply can't be attracted to every woman that hires you, he said. I also understood that my clients had rich and career successful husbands and were getting everything they needed from them except emotional support. That's really why they would hire me, John continued with a hint of empathy in his voice. Do you have any regrets about what you got into? I asked John. None, he responded quickly. Every one of my clients was super nice and generous with me. Once I got in with all those wealthy women Jane introduced me to, I made sure I fulfilled what they hired me for was always respectful to them, always kept their identity a top secret, and that has kept me busy ever since. He continued while leaning forward with a dramatic pose. It's incredible that it all started as a joke, John continued saying while holding his head with his hands and frozen with a disbelieving look in his face. The interview ended with John thanking me for all I'd done for him. If it wasn't for you, I would have blown all that money like I did with my previous job, he told me. Every successful and wealthy person that I've met always had multiple sources of income, and it makes total sense. However, this does not conflict with the focus key. It reinforces it. If one thing fails, they still have several other sources generating income, and they don't feel that financial hit because their bank account continues to grow. This is what separates wealthy entrepreneurs from people who work for a living. You work for someone, you get laid off or fired, and that's it. Unemployment compensation is never enough to cover all your monthly bills. It's best to have multiple streams of money and not rely on your boss for 100% of your income because that's just too risky. The extra money coming in from multiple sources allows you to harness every dollar of that extra income to boost your net worth since you never really needed this money because you were already living without it. Having multiple sources of income is only valid when you've launched your first business and that business is self-sustaining, self-governing, standing on its own two feet, and healthy. You've hired the right management team that is continuing the profitability of that business, and you don't need to micromanage that business anymore. Then, and only then, you can move on to starting your next business venture. You were focused on the successful launch of your first business, it's monetized, and now you're able to move on to your next. You would then do the exact same thing with the second business as you did with the first one, and so on. That was exactly what I helped John set up with the proceeds from his new career. 
In the next episode, I'll continue part two of John's story, and we'll go over exactly how I guided and consulted him on setting up multiple sources of income to ensure that he would not repeat his past money mistakes. He had a great paying executive salary at his previous job, but he was never savvy with his money and always in debt and maxed out credit cards and not focused on where he was headed. His life and finances changed significantly for the better when he began implementing the 10G matrix and specifically the three main keys and sub-principles that are the foundation of everything that I've talked about up to now. Don't forget to participate in the Q&A segments by going to speakpipe.com forward slash 10G and leave your question or comment there. And if it's featured on an episode, I'll send you a free 10G logo sticker just for taking the time to become an active member of this channel. Look for all the links in the episode descriptions on all the podcasting platforms. If you found this content to be helpful, follow, like, and share, and consider becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com forward slash 10G. 10G, exactly as it's on the logo. Thank you for listening with an open mind, and thank you for listening to the end. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.